baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. This week, Governor signed historic legislation to change the way schools are funded. To call it hard-fought would be an understatement. But along the way to Thursday's bill signing, one Republican lawmaker earned praise from both sides of the aisle and a shout-out from staunch Democratic Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Now, we're not sure whether that will help him or hurt him, but House Republican leader Jim Durkin was the go-to guy during the negotiations, and now he's come here. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is State Representative Jim Durkin. He has been the Illinois House Republican leader since 2013, but he's been in the legislature on and off since 1995. He took some time off to make a run for the U.S. Senate, but he lost to then and still incumbent Dick Durbin. Uh, He was the ranking Republican on the Special House Investigations Committee for the impeachment of ex-Governor Rod Blagojevich. He has been an assistant attorney general and an assistant Cook County state's attorney during his uh, career as a lawyer. And now he is one of the four legislative leaders that some in Springfield call the four tops. Leader Jim Durkin, welcome back. Thank you, Craig. Good to be here. Well, thank you. Uh, it's good to have you. We uh, It's been too long. It sure has. Uh, we obviously should start with the school funding package. Uh, some local school administrators told me that they shed tears as the bill passed. Um, a change in the school aid formula is something that they had been hoping and working for for decades. Why did everything take so long? It's like anything else in Springfield. Nothing's easy. The issue of school funding reform has been around longer than as I've been in the legislature uh, for decades. Um, it's it's a regional battle in which you have people who have uh, protective interest in areas that are doing very well. And you know, every year that goes by, you see uh, some of these schools in low-income areas of the state out in Chicago and the suburbs in downstate Illinois that just are lacking the resources to be able to give a child a, a, a chance at a good education. And I think a lot of us, Came the conclusion, came to a conclusion, you know, within the last eight months that we really have to now get this done. I commend the governor a year ago for creating the uh, a, commi- a special commission to review the issue, a bipartisan, bicameral commission to review education funding reform, and they are the ones that set up the foundation for us to be able to get to this point. So, when the governor uh, brought that commission together, that was a signal that he was serious that we have to make a change. So um, we put good people on there, and uh, they worked very hard. They never can agree on everything, but I think what helped us very much to bring this to a conclusion was the, I, I, I would just say the problem that we saw with the budget. You know, two and a half years without an operating budget, the fighting, and we saw that the problems that were existing throughout the state that were becoming damaged because of a lack of agreement on the budget. We were not gonna put kids and their families in the middle over this issue, which is, I don't want to call it a battle, but I think it's just a, a you know, a test of, of, of priorities from both sides. And 
our negotiators went back at it and went back at it after the commission recommendations uh, up until about a month ago. And I went to the governor and I said, Governor, it's now in our hands. So I need myself and my Senate leader need to go to the Democrat leaders to bring this to a conclusion because the negotiators were making headway. But the fact is they just, you know, often say this in politics, but, you know, they have a red zone problem. They can't really go any further. So it was really left up to the four leaders. And I asked the governor to give authority to myself and Bill Brady to take these on. And the governor agreed and he says, let's, let's get a good deal. Let's get this done. So, uh, but I think it was the, we didn't want to see a repeat of the budget, but we also know that there are profound issues with respect to education funding reform. We have to make sure that kids are going to have a better chance to be, to, to, have the resources available for them it's 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 like i said it's been you, you don't have to drive too far from my neighborhood in the west suburbs drive a little bit east into cicero and berwin and you see classrooms that are three times the size they should be money's just not there to be able to give to to ensure that every child is going to get a shot you know i can drive in dupage county and i can see the same thing too and it's just not it's not right by legislatively but it's also not morally right either for us to allow this system to continue a system that has allowed is unfortunately has allowed for children to fail and not have the opportunity to reach for the reach for the stars and chase after the american dream i mean we were very fortunate in my family to be able to have access to education and uh, employment and uh, i'm fortunate we need to do more for other families um you know con- <clears throat> conventional well first off i should say that i think during the budget fight it would seem, at least to those of us covering it, that a lot of the emphasis, at least from the top, not necessarily the leaders, um, but from you know the combatants, I would say, was who was going to get blamed when things went wrong. But conventionalism is that when it comes to education, when it comes to schools not opening, I don't think the public lines up that way. I think I think the public blames everybody if something happens in the schools either don't open or have to open and close. Look, universally, whether the public is Republicans, uh, ultra conservatives, or moderates or progressives, they're going to blame the party in charge. But it's basically, I guess, all of us. If schools don't close, uh, we we couldn't allow that to happen. I, I I just think about the consequences of a school having to shut their doors for a week. You know, what are parents going to do with their children? Many of them have uh, both have jobs. And uh, they've got to find something to keep their, you know, their kids uh, busy, active, but also to keep their heads focused and to, you know, try to get focused on, on their, their studies. There, and I guess that there's a trickle effect that I think a lot of us don't understand how far it goes. But the fact is, if we got to a point where schools had to close because we ran out of money, um, it would be a pox on, on that on that body like we've never seen. And, and as I said earlier, we can't do this. Uh, with children's uh, life, you know, their their opportunities and their 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 what we have is an obligation to make sure that the school doors are open. They're going to have an opportunity to um, to study, do everything they want to do. But it's just there was so much at stake. But the thing is, we didn't have to get to that point. So we just came to a collective agreement that we're going to get this done one way or the other. Um, some Republican lawmakers uh, like Jeannie Ives and David McSweeney still. Uh, somewhat angrily label this bill a Chicago bailout. Um, they voted no. Are there some lingering hard feelings over this? There always is with every major issue. And I've dealt with this 
not only as a leader, but also in my days in the legislature, you're never going to find a, on any difficult issue, you're going to find a, a complete consensus. Some people looked at this as too Chicago-centric and not enough for you know, the, the conservative-minded people throughout the state of Illinois. But the way I looked at it is that we're still in the minority. And there was a bill that was sitting in the House of Representatives called SB1, which was a bill drafted by the Senate that really has nothing for the Republicans that eventually showed up in a bill that was signed into law. And if we were going to drag this out uh, any longer, uh, there was a pretty good chance that SB1 would be the law of Illinois, and then there would be absolutely nothing on the Republican side of the request that we had made, whether it's a school uh, tax credit program, unfunded mandate relief, property tax reform, uh, charter school equity. But the door was open, and we had to grasp the moment. Um, there was an opportunity for us to say that, you know what, we've been able to achieve things in this legislation as Republicans, which never, ever, ever have seen the light of day in a committee hearing in Springfield. And those are the four things that I just spoke about. So we had an opportunity to ensure that our priorities were going to be incorporated in the bill. But if we were going to be pushing back and not negotiating, Senate Bill 1 eventually would become the law of Illinois. But that would ensure that some schools would close and that we would the Republicans would be completely shut out on being having any meaningful uh, 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 you know recommendations placed in the final legislation. So to me, it was just a matter of time. Uh, Chicago is going to get what they're going to get. We're not against Chicago kids. I am not. I want to make sure Chicago kids are going to have. They're the ones who probably need more help than anybody in the state of Illinois. But we have children throughout the state of Illinois that need need support as well. So you hear a lot of rhetoric about, you know, to Chicago. It's not against the children. It's not against, you know, the, the schools. There's decisions that are made uh, in Chicago that I think sometimes uh, it, it does uh, strike a nerve with some of the Republicans. But we need to put that aside. But I looked at this as an opportunity uh, that we had to embrace. And that's what I explained to the governor. And I told him that there is a that we only have a, a certain amount of time to be able to bring closure to this issue if we are going to be able to get matters that are important for him incorporated into the legislation, matters that are important to me as well. And that's what we achieved. Uh, and how much did personalities play into how this played out? Um, you know, the, uh, the, the governor, uh, even a- after the agreement was reached, uh, said there were bad things in the bill. Um, you had, I mean, you've had the kind of loggerheads between the speaker and and the governor. I think at one point when uh, Mayor Emanuel said what's in the compromise was, you know, even more for Chicago than what uh, what was in SB1, I think that set off probably some people on your side of the aisle. It did, but I don't think that the people on our side of the aisle realize what we're, what we're able to gain from this. I told members and I told everyone down in Springfield that said, let's not focus on Chicago. Chicago's going to get what they're going to get. I mean, they have the majority in both chambers and eventually in the Senate, it's an easy override, but in the house, if schools close and uh, we have got, and we've brought no conclusion to the education funding crisis, eventually Senate bill one would become law because members would fall off because they're not going to allow schools to close. So I just told members, let's focus on what we're getting out of this. Let's focus heavily on it. But the fact is, 
nobody was really happy on both sides. Do I like everything in the bill? Absolutely not. But the fact is, that's what you call a compromise. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to do more of. And I look at this as what happened over the past two weeks, this negotiating uh, sessions that went on with myself, the president, the speaker, and the Senate leader. I hope that that's a template for us to move forward on major issues. Uh, because we actually, we, we treated it like adults, uh, and we looked at it as an opportunity for us to be able to say that we can actually work together. Because people are really, really frustrated over the fact that we're not meeting, we're not talking, and we just can't get along. So I hope that people look at this as maybe a start of a great moment in Illinois history where we've, we've put aside partisan politics, and we're going to start doing better things together. But you and the other leaders have worked together before and have made compromises before. The the new element in this has been Governor Rauner. Uh, does he have a different view of what constitutes compromise than the four of you? I can't say that, but I know that the, the governor is a very driven person who um, went into this job with a very specific agenda of what he believes is right for Illinois. And I agree with him. Uh, but I think the governor is also a person who knows how to drive a, a tough bargain. That's what he's done in his whole career. So that's what he charged myself and Senator Brady to do over the last two weeks. But he's not someone you can push over. You can't run rings around him. So he's a, you're not going to get by and slip something through the, you know, past the governor that is, um, that is controversial or something that he is not uh, in favor of without having him speak his mind and say that, you know what, if you're looking for this, I need some relief on my side. So uh, the governor is a, but again, the governor was very involved with these negotiations, and I give him great credit for it. Uh, he, is, he, he does it quietly, but the fact is, myself and Senator Brady were on daily calls and meetings over the last two weeks discussing parameters on where we can negotiate and areas that were still open and how we can bridge the gap. So the uh, governor did a fine job with this, uh, uh, bringing this to closure, uh, but he's not the typical governor. <laughs> I've, I've served under uh, Jim Edgar, George Ryan, Rob Bogoyevich, and Pat Quinn. Uh, and uh, he's got a different personality and he's got a different style. And you don't, like anything else, you got to adapt and you work with it. And that's what uh, I've, I've done and I'll continue to do. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Illinois House Republican leader Jim Durkin. Uh, I want to get into some specifics and some budget issues. Uh, isn't the victory for that that the victory on school uh school choice uh is kind of a complicated form of school choice that uh some people are just describing as vouchers that have been structured legally uh perfectly so that they're not exactly vouchers is that really what this is well that's what the opponents are going to state but the fact is in illinois we've had tax credits in different areas of state government going on for years they're incentives it encourages people to make investments in this particular case um this is a uh, it's a tax credit and our courts have already decided in a similar situation under a bill that we passed in the late 1990s which appeared before, which was the first uh, tuition tax credit program for parents and, and non-public schools to be able to use uh, on their on their tax forms, um, and it was tested, and uh, the courts st- said that this is not state money; these are individuals making their own contribution and get a credit against their tax their their, their on their tax forms. But the issue has been litigated, uh, not only in the state of Illinois but also elsewhere. Call it what they want. It's not a voucher because it is not a handout of 
state money that is being used. And that's a distinction that has been used by the appellate court who heard this case in the Central District of Illinois back in the early 2000s. So I look at this, again, as an area of opportunity for um, children that are in the most struggling and the lowest income areas of the state whose parents have, have lost confidence in their public school and are desperately looking for a greater opportunity for their child. I don't know how anybody can complain with that. I've been a supporter of school choice my whole life. I've been very fortunate. I've gone to Catholic grammar schools and high schools. But I think about these families, and I've seen them in different parts of the city, uh, different parts of the state, who, uh, are, are, who are doing the best for their children, but they just can no longer have, when they lost confidence in their local school, why shouldn't they be given an opportunity to make a decision what's best for their child? So it's, it's, a, it's a tough issue, but I think it's an important issue. It's an important issue for Republicans. And again, we've never even, ever, in my time down there or ever, have been able to have this opportunity to have a bill that's going to give parents school choice to make the best decisions for their children. $75 million out of a, a, a education budget that comes close to $8 billion when the CTU and all the other teachers' unions get everything that they're looking for. It's a five-year pilot program. Let's see how it works. But to say that this is evil, it's the end of public, uh, public education as we know it, because we're allowing families that are coming from the, 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 the poorest areas of the state to have the opportunity to make their child's uh, experience in school better for them. To me, I think that's, I, I just have a hard time reconciling the opposition that came on that particular piece of legislation, which was basically Senate Bill 1, which they all were wonderful and they were all trumpeting, but because of a small provision, they worked against it so hard. Uh, and I think it was it's nothing more than a philosophical objection, but the fact is, just think about who the beneficiary of it is. It's children in struggling neighborhoods. Well, the argument that I've heard most often has been, even if it doesn't, and there they will argue about this, whether it drains resources from uh, public schools, even if you allow that this is private money going to parents to help them, um, can't it drain students from the public schools? And that, that eventually means money if they don't get the school aid uh, per student that they're supposed to get. But, but doesn't, doesn't it start to pull away, pull students out of this system? I don't think over a five-year period you're going to see that any dramatic change, but it is going to have a minor, very, very minimal effect. We're talking $75 million at the end of the day per year, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to the, the, the advocates will be able to reach that, that cap of $75 million. If it pulls a couple kids out of a school district that has not been performing to the standards that the parents expect, I can't argue with them, but it's not going to have this dramatic effect upon the uh, public school system in Illinois. Again, like I said, they got everything they wanted. Uh, they, sh- they, they were complete, they were, they were beneficiaries to a, to a great extent of what happened yesterday. So, uh, but I believe that this is an area that is very important to me. Uh, it's very close to me and also a number of Republicans. Now, if we were going to give the benefits to Chicago, like I said, this is an opportunity for us to say that our priorities are going to be recognized. Republicans have been standing up for school choice 
for decades and decades in, in Illinois. We've never had a shot at getting a bill passed. And Craig, when I was in the majority in 1995 and 96, we couldn't get a bill out of committee. So there was a big push <laughs> by a lot of the, I would say, the the Democrats who were not supportive of the, the bill and said, well, why don't we just make that a separate vote and t- take it out of the bill? And, we'll, we'll, and I said, we're never going to pass the bill on its own. It had to be part of the bigger picture. The same way that SB1 wasn't getting the traction that they hoped they would because there was a lot of Chicago-centric uh, priorities put in that bill. So it all had to be done at one time. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some other things, maybe politics, maybe budget. Uh, assess what kind of a year it has been for Governor Rauner. He vetoed the budget plan after a two-year stalemate. Lawmakers overrode him. He doesn't get the reforms that he said the state needed to put this uh, economy back on track. Uh, he signed the school funding bill that Mayor Emanuel says gives him more than he had, had even asked for. Um, is, is he having, can he say this is a year where he's having victory? Well, here's what I do know, is that the Democrats do not want Governor Rauner to return as governor. And they, it was very clear after about three months on the job. <laughs> and they have made the, 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 the life of the average Republican in the legislature's uh, day very difficult. But what they forget to realize is that the governor is not somebody that they can push around. They can't run circles around him. I'm not saying that other governors were, were weak, but the fact is he's a very strong man. He understands the issues. He's very smart. He's very determined. And they have not run into somebody like Bruce Rauner ever. And both the president and the speaker have had a number of governors that they've served under. But he believes very stro- strongly about what he believes, what, what are the priorities for Illinois. So has there been a major legislative success up until two days ago? No, but what we've done is that we've stopped the Democrats close to 80 times in the House of Representatives from overriding the governor on some terrible, terrible terrible principles and, and bills that would have had a really, really bad effect upon the Illinois economy, uh, our, our, our business climate, the list goes on. So um, they are they were very determined not to give this governor any legislative success. And I hope that that changes moving forward because I hope that the president and the speaker realize that they have an honest broker with me in the House of Representatives that when I give my word, I follow through with it. And that's what I told them during these negotiations that I will work with you as long as you do not dismiss myself and my caucus about what we feel is important. So, uh, but the governor, you know, they, you know, this is a political season. It's been, you know, they, they made a conscious decision. I believe about a year ago that we're not going to, we're really not going to give the governor that much. We're going to make it difficult, but school funding and the children of Illinois came into play and we weren't going to let them down. So given the political year and the uh, the general tendencies of both sides. How does the governor's agenda move forward from this point on? That is something which myself, the Senate leader, and the governor are going to be speaking about what we think are important things that we can all agree on. I think the attitude that we're going to take Republican, Republican ideas and we have to force them through the legislature is just not going to happen. So we need to be able to pick and choose where are areas that we feel that there is a bipartisan uh, agreement? Let's let's we have to get back and touch pensions again. That to me is is so important for us to go back in 
and address our pension problems of Illinois. Uh, we have infrastructure problems as well. And those are, and, and you know, people have been asking me for three years, where's the capital program? That's maybe something we can think about uh, soon. Because I know that those are areas that we can find bipartisan support. So I think the focus has to be on let's, let's work on areas that we truly can agree on and we know what they are. And let's get to work on them. And that's how we have to lay it out. But I think we need to move away from partisan issues that have been on the floor of the House of Representatives for the past three years. There are, I, I gave you two examples of things that I know that both parties would like to see some type of movement on, and there's more to go. But uh, things like term limits and, uh, and fair map uh, redistricting, probably not going to come up uh, within the next year or so. I think that they'll probably suffer the same fate they have over the past last two years. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about uh, a couple of other things that the governor signed this. Uh, we, I just want to get your feelings on them. Uh, the governor signed automatic voter registration uh, and the so-called uh, Trust Act, which limits uh, Illinois' cooperation with immigration, federal immigration authorities. Uh, how do you feel about those measures? The first one, the uh, uh, automatic voter registration, that was a bill that was negotiated by um, Republicans and Democrats. And we believe that uh, voting rights is important. And uh, giving greater access to the uh, voting to the to our elections is important, but I look at that as a good bill, one that shows that the governor is not a person who's so far to the right about an area that's important for people throughout the state of Illinois about access and having their their vote being uh, tallied uh, is important. And um, I can't go through all the the nuances of the bill, but this is a bill that's been in the works for over two and a half years in which we've negotiated and we found a common ground. So I support the governor on that, and I supported the bill. Now, the Trust Act, uh, all of the backers say, no, this isn't this isn't sanctuary state. All of the people who are against it say, yes, it is. Uh, what, what's your feeling, and what's the feeling of your, your caucus? Well, the caucus, other than one member, um, supported the bill. Only one person supported the bill in our caucus. I didn't support it, but... It is not, it, from where the bill started to where it ended, it was it was watered down con- considerably to the point where actually law enforcement supports the bill. It is not does not make Illinois a sanctuary state. Absolutely, positively not. But it basically says that you just cannot detain someone because of their status. But if someone is committing a crime, obviously they'll, they'll be detained and they'll be reported. Uh, local and state law enforcement officials still have to... Um, if they are, if someone is uh, detained for any type of offense and there is a valid federal immigration warrant, those state and local officials have to act upon it and execute the warrant. So to say that this is a bill that opens up the state of Illinois to illegal immigrants is just false. And I, I it's a, again, this is an issue that I think the, the governor looked at it from a, um, a humanitarian standpoint. Uh, I looked at it coming from a law enforcement background, and I still had challenges with it, but the concept is something that we have to continue to work on. Uh, we can't, but I, I also believe that separating families is not what I believe in. It's not how I was raised, and that's not how I will act in Springfield as well. We need to, the federal government needs to do a better job in addressing the issue of immigration. I'm not sure if I agree with everything that's going on with it right now, but I think that at the state level, we could, we move slowly. Uh, we can be responsible. 
But at the same time, bad actors who are illegal immigrants are get no sympathy. They will be uh, rounded up, and they will be sent to prison. And after they finish their their time in the prison systems, they will be they'll be put on a bus and sent out of the country. So uh, it's not a sanctuary state. Illinois will never be a sanctuary state, and it isn't right now because of what the governor did. That's going to be the final word. Jim Durkin, Illinois House Republican leader, thank you for Greg, coming, thank coming you, in. Greg, and, and we'll have to do this much sooner than the two years it took us to, to do this. Absolutely. Uh, but, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is cbschicago.com. You can follow the audio links. You can also find our podcast on play.it. Now, I will be off next week. Cisco Cotto will be in the big chair with another edition of At Issue, and I think they're going to be looking at uh, the challenges of first responders. We can look at Texas and what's happened here in Illinois. I hope you will be listening to that. It should be very interesting. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.